Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, do turn to the book of Acts. As Claire says, we're starting a new preaching series simply called, oh, the text is already up there, simply called Dynamic. Dynamic. And just to say, we are not going to rush through this. There's uh, quite a few chapters in Acts, as you probably know. Uh, So we're going to split this into two sections. From now until December, we're going to be looking at this incredible spread of the gospel, mainly in Jerusalem, uh, a little bit of Judea. And then we're going to come back to Acts part two in the spring of next year, where we're going to be continuing this incredible gospel expansion to the ends of the world. And we've got Christmas and a little mini-series in between. So just to let you know where we're going to be heading over these next few months. But Acts is an amazing, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is action-packed, as the name kind of uh, identifies. But it really is the story of the birth of the church and this explosive spread of the gospel. And I think this is really helpful in following on from all that we've been talking about in our previous series as we've been looking at the river of God, because Acts is the story of very, very ordinary people being empowered by a very extraordinary God as they are filled with his Holy Spirit and and discover for themselves what it means to have these rivers of living water, as Jesus described, flowing out from within them. In summary, the world was turned upside down. But Acts is also an ongoing story that you and I are part of, which makes it really, really exciting. So let's get stuck in. Just going to read the first eight verses this morning, kind of as as an introduction to the whole series. So Acts chapter 1 from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus then ascends into heaven to return to his father. And you have these two angelic beings giving assurance that he will return one day the same way that he went. Amazing, amazing. 
So right at the beginning of Acts, what we have here is pretty much the central theme, and in fact a summary of the whole book, particularly in verse 8. And what we're going to look at this morning is the promise, the purpose, and the plan that runs right the way through the book of Acts. The promise, the purpose, and the plan. And I just really want to give a bit of context to this book, seeing as this is the uh, first of this series. But if, you, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the author was Luke, and uh, he starts by referencing his former book, which of course is his gospel, the gospel of Luke. So we need to see Acts as part two of a double volume, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And now Luke wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile, and he was a doctor, we know. And in fact, as we read through the New Testament, we see that actually he is more than just a doctor. He is actually a traveling companion of Paul's. He joins Paul very briefly on his second missionary journey, again on return on his third missionary journey, and he accompanies Paul to Rome to face trial there, for Paul to face trial. So he's more than a doctor, and he's more even than a, than a great historian, documenting the action and, and gathering information from eyewitnesses. He was very good at that. We have a very detailed account. His gospel is really detailed. But he was also, as we find out, actively involved. He was in himself an eyewitness to many of the events he records in Acts. So it really gives us great confidence as we read the book of Acts. And we see that right at the beginning, it's addressed to this guy called Theophilus. And if you know the Gospel of Luke, you'll know that he also addresses the Gospel of Luke to this guy, Theophilus. And the, the name Theophilus simply means one who loves God. And so some commentators say, well, this could be just a general term for all believers, all those who love God. But the fact that he addresses, particularly in his gospel, Theophilus as the most excellent, which is a, a term used for someone of official standing, a government official, it suggests that actually this is a person, perhaps uh, the generous benefactor sponsoring Luke's work in documenting the, uh, the gospel, in documenting the birth of the church. But I think what is also likely is that Theophilus may have been the judge presiding over Paul's trial in Rome. And so therefore, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts is basically drawing evidence, giving evidence to validate the gospel, to say actually that the early church are not the bad guys. And we know actually he was pretty successful because Paul was released at that time. It also helps to explain the overriding focus on Paul, particularly as the gospel goes beyond Jerusalem. It very much focuses on Paul. It's, it's not really the acts of the apostles as such, it's the acts of certain apostles. It's quite defined in that way. But whoever the official recipient was of Acts, Acts doesn't just give us a great description of the birth of the church and the explosive nature and the spread of the gospel, but actually gives us some vital lessons, vital lessons that we need to learn as we continue this story. 
And this continuing story is the connection that Luke really wants us to grasp right from the very start. And so here he describes his gospel, if you notice, as all that Jesus began to do while he was on earth, signifying, therefore, that the book of Acts is all that are now resurrected, ascended, alive, Jesus continues to do through his church by his Holy Spirit. In other words, this is still Jesus's mission, and it is still ongoing, and you and I are part of that. We need to get that connection. It's not just a history book. It's not just a documentation of events that happened. I just want to clarify, saying this is an ongoing mission, Jesus's mission to die on a cross to pay for our sins was complete. I just want to make that very, very clear. His mission sent by the Father to be born in human flesh, to live a sinless life, and to die a sinner's death, to pay for every sin, past, present, and future, was totally completed. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. That's why the grave couldn't hold him. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin was paid for. Therefore, death was defeated. Hebrews 10.12 read out a section of this just a minute ago. When the, the priest, this, this high priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Yet, his mission to tell people about the good news that that healing and forgiveness of sins were available and open to all those who repent and believe in him, regardless of whether you are a Jew or not, that mission was just beginning. And his plan was, and still is, to work through his church by the Holy Spirit. I think one of the clearest passages of this is Paul in Romans 15 said, Paul is a great focus of the book of Acts. He says this, verse 18 and 19, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has worked through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit what Christ has worked through me. In other words, this is Jesus' mission. This is Jesus still at work through Paul. We know that Paul, his words were not that persuasive. His speech wasn't that eloquent. He was actually viewed as quite unremarkable. And yet the Holy Spirit, the power of God, Jesus at work through him, brought about the obedience of the Gentiles, even when Paul says, there is no more work for me to do here, and he moves on. Such was the impact, such was the fruit of his ministry, as Jesus was working through him, Christ in me. That's why Jesus said it is better if he goes to be with the Father. You know, we think, wouldn't it be lovely if Jesus was still on earth? Jesus said, no, it's better. The reason he ascended was so he could send the Holy Spirit to work through all of us. It's better that he went. 
so we could receive the Holy Spirit. This is the promise. This is the promise that we see prophesied right the way through the Old Testament, right the way through the New Testament. I mean, we have Joel in the Old Testament, Joel 2.28, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. It's the passage that Peter refers to on the day of Pentecost when he stands up and, and explains all that's going on. He's going, this is the promise. This is the promise of the Father. It's happening. It is happening. This is the promise that John the Baptist spoke about just three years before. He says, I will baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With fire. This is the helper that Jesus was talking about when he spoke to his disciples and he said, I will not leave you as orphans. But I will send the paraclete, the helper, one who will come alongside you and empower you. This is the promise of the Father. And here we see in this first chapter of Acts, Jesus is saying, get ready. The promise is about to be fulfilled. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. And it is a gift. It's unearned. The gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise. Why wait? Very simply, because what God calls us to do, we cannot do on our own. It's foolishness to think we can. God calls us to do the impossible in ourselves. But nothing is impossible for God as he works through us. And God is a God who keeps his promises, isn't he? God is a God who keeps his promise. And this particular promise, the promise of the Father, was fulfilled 10 days after Jesus ascended. We have Pentecost and we'll be looking at that next week. Really excited about that in Acts 2. But what does it mean to be clothed with power from on high, as Jesus described? What does it mean to be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I just want to say what, what this isn't talking about. Just want us to be clear. Every person who truly repents of their sin and seeks to follow Jesus has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Okay? There's no such thing as a Christian void of the Holy Spirit. Our very conversion is the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It reveals our need of a Savior. The Holy Spirit then reveals the truth of who Jesus is. Gives us faith to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our conversion is the work of the Spirit. We know in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord from the heart except by the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. A few verses later, same chapter, Paul says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Think of the disciples. I think it's clear that they were born again before Pentecost. They were in the kingdom of God. Jesus says to them in John 15, he says, look, look, you are already clean 
You don't need a bath, just need your feet washed. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. They received the truth. They received the word. They were already clean. When Jesus sends out the 72 and they see incredible miracles happening and, and healings and, and demons fleeing in the, in the name of Jesus, they return rejoicing. And, and Jesus says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. This is pre-Pentecost. So what was this being clothed with power from on high? Well, I think it's clear that there was so much more to come for those disciples. There was an empowering of the Holy Spirit, not just an indwelling. There was an empowering, a clothing, a baptism, which literally means soaking. It's what we use when we talk about baptism in water, a fully submerging, a soaking, a baptism of fire. This is the, the empowering that every single Christian needs to experience and to live in the good of if we're to bear fruits and do the things that Jesus has called us to do. That's why he said, don't wait. You need this empowering from the Holy Spirit. You need this being clothed with power from on high. And as we read through Acts, we see that this isn't just a one-off. This is not just a one-off, tick the box. But as we read through Acts, we see time and time again, the apostles and believers being filled again, being empowered again, living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. We need this power of the Holy Spirit. We need to keep coming back to the source as we were talking about in our river series. Keep coming back to the source to be empowered again. The promise is the Holy Spirit. The purpose is to give them power to give them power. The Greek word for power here, you will receive power, is dunamai. It's where we get our word for dynamic from, hence the the title of this series. But it's also where we get our, our word for dynamite from. This is the sort of explosive power that Jesus is talking about when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Gives you some idea of the impact that we're meant to have and can have when we are clothed with power from on high. It's explosive. There is massive evidence. And that's what we see in Acts. Incredible evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But power for what? For a great experience? We read in verse 8, power to witness boldly. Power to witness boldly. Power to turn a bunch of very ordinary, unremarkable people into, well, people who, who actually most had written off as part of a failed religious sect. They'll just be forgotten about. Suddenly, with the, this clothing of power from on high, when the Holy Spirit came on them, this promise of the Father, it transformed them into a dynamic fearless, unstoppable force that totally changed their world. And we'll see as we go through, through Acts the incredible boldness. You know, people like Peter, we talked about last week, just crumbling, putting his foot in it, just like, oh, Peter, not again. Now standing before thousands, as we'll see in weeks to come. Standing before authorities, not crumbling, but speaking with incredible boldness, incredible conviction, Incredible power. 
You'll see the church when they get threatened by the authorities, rather than crumbling and running and hiding, but praying for boldness. Spirit of boldness, 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. See, boldness is a key element to this power. We need the Holy Spirit's boldness, don't we? I know I do. Need to be filled with the Spirit time and time again. But so is a deep conviction of the truth as well. It's another, another evidence of the Holy Spirit. A deep conviction of the truth. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Deep conviction. You know that you know that you know the truth. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we read Jesus spent time with them, giving them many proofs that he was alive. Spent Days with them, 40 days, talking about the kingdom of God, making sure they got the truth in their hearts. And and it's the Holy Spirit that brings that conviction. Even to put their lives at risk. Again, as we just read through Acts again, as we see with Stephen, even at the point of his execution, such deep conviction of the truth, that he gives this full-blown sermon and and seeds of the gospel were planted in the heart of a a certain Saul looking on, soon to become Paul. They witnessed boldly. They were convicted of the truth deeply. They also received power to perform miraculous signs and wonders. You know, as Jesus said, greater things than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. Why? Because it wouldn't just be Jesus operating the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but it'll be every believer. Just spread, multiplied. Greater things will you do. Again, in Romans 15, verse 19, Paul says, The Gentiles were convinced of the gospel by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. Powerful evidences that the kingdom of God is here. Where the kingdom of God is, there is freedom. There's freedom from sickness. There's freedom from emotional disease, mental disease, physical There's freedom. It's where the kingdom of God is. They were witnessing in word and with power. You know, don't we need to see more of that in the church? Don't we need to see more of that breaking out onto the streets? Again, just that that healing on the streets leaflet. Do pick up a leaflet. We need to see it. So I said last week, let's not look to, to current expectations. We've seen some amazing miracles in this church, incredible healings. And we thank God for every one of them. But again, let's pray for more. Let's be in faith for more. There is power for signs and wonders. And the Holy Spirit comes. But I think there is one miracle or evidence of God's power that is, I think, sometimes overlooked. And that is the way they lived with one another. 
the way they related to one another. You know, this early church was an increasingly mixed bunch. It was full of slaves and free, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, increasingly Gentile, male and female. And yet there was a love and a care and a unity that was startling. It says it ashamed the authorities because of the care they showed to one another. Amazing. They loved selflessly. They loved selflessly. And because of that, their lives were as much a witness as what they declared, as much as their speech, as much as the boldness of their testimony. Their lives were, were very much evidence. They were witnesses, and they were the evidence. They were exhibit A to the world around them, evidence that Jesus is alive and that he was and is still working in and through his church. You know, they lived lives of love. It's a miracle, isn't it? People from all walks and all backgrounds, love for the stranger, love for the widow, love for the orphan, love for the outcast, lives of sacrifice, Ben, our youngest, um, has been demanding a song in the car that's just been on repeat play. Thankfully, it's one of my favorite bands, a band called King and Country, an Australian band. And uh, this particular song is a song called Proof. And mainly because it's been on repeat play, but this, this one chorus just keeps on going round and round. But I think it's just great words, particularly for what we're talking about. It says, let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you're made of. How you lived, how you died, love is sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. You know, the early church had a love that was visible. Their lives, they were living proof of the power and the work of Jesus through his spirit. It was so countercultural that it really, it made people convinced that crumbs, what's going on? It, it looks like Jesus is at work. There's, there's Jesus, the work, it looks like Jesus, just multiplied. Living evidence that God was transforming them by his spirit. I, I'll never forget when Pete and Mary, who aren't here this morning, but we, as a church, we used to do this pub quiz at the Little Windsor. And uh, it was a little pub just down the road from where we used to meet at Sutton Grammar School. And the quiz master there was a lovely guy, and he was incredibly well-read, very intelligent. And I remember Pete and Mary, they had him back for uh, supper one time. And he said, look, I've read all the books on religion, particularly Christianity. He said, I can argue any theological point. Then he stopped. He said, the one thing, though, that I have no answer to is the evidence of transformed lives. He said, I, I don't have an answer to that. He said, I, I just, you see people one moment, and then they say, I've, I've encountered Jesus, and they are transformed. And he said, I have no answer to that. Living proof. Let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. It's kind of no wonder that Jesus told them 
to wait for the promise. And I have to, it's a lesson I have to keep on coming back to myself. You know, what makes me think that I'm any different not to need this ongoing empowering of the Holy Spirit? We were never called to do this mission in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be clothed from power from on high. And when we do that, we know we can do things that we could never do on our own. That's when breakthroughs happen. If we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to be this river impacting our community, we need the Holy Spirit's empowering. And this promise is a promise for all of us. I don't know your backgrounds, all of yours. I know some of yours. I don't know if you've experienced this empowering of the Holy Spirit yourself, or if it may be something you're a little bit unsure about. But this promise is for you. And the purpose for it is exactly the same, to bear witness that Jesus is alive, to to transform our lives, to be living proof, to be evidence that he is alive, that not just in the conviction of our words, but also in the way we live. Which takes us finally and very briefly to the plan. The plan. Back to verse 8, the second part. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Incredible global vision. And yet at the time, if you, if you picked it up as we read, the, the disciples were still thinking nationally. They said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of, 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 of Israel? I mean, how patient was Jesus? It's like, you know, what don't you get? Here I am. I've, I've just come back to life. I've died. The, the pierced hands, hello. This isn't just about restoring Israel. This is a global mission. This is a global mission. He was so patient with them. This mission is to the ends of the earth. And, and how encouraging to think that actually we're fruits of that first call to the ends of the earth. You and I sitting here are fruits of that call to go to the ends of the earth. And that call is still the same. This global mission hasn't changed. We are still part of this plan. You know, Acts, yes, is full of amazing signs and wonders, yet they are not the focus. Acts is full of amazing church planting, incredible church planting, yet even that is not the end goal. The end goal was and still is to see Jesus worshipped as Lord and Savior to the ends of the earth. That's the plan. And we'll see that unfolding as we go through this series. The promise is the Holy Spirit. The purpose is to clothe us with power, dunamai, to be his witnesses. And the plan is to reach the ends of the earth with this incredibly good news of Jesus. Just going to read just a very brief quote from John Stott. I was reminded of it, actually, a tweet last night. just thought, yes, this is what we need. John Stott, amazing, amazing man of God, says, What we need is not more learning, eloquence, persuasion, 
or more organization. What we need is more power from the Holy Spirit. That's what we need, church. This new age of spirit-empowered living that was birthed in Acts has not ceased. God's plan is to empower his church to be his witnesses, living evidence that Jesus is alive and he saves to the ends of the earth. I'm just going to finish just with an encouragement. Again, whatever your experience this far of the Holy Spirit, let's choose to embrace this promise of the Father today. Can we agree to do that? Let's embrace the promise of the Father, whatever your experience. And we're just going to pray for us. If we could stand, maybe the band could come back up.